please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing his praises.
Father, you are our God because you have called us to be your children. We thank you for the great privilege of worshiping you together, of celebrating who you are and who we are in you. We pray that our worship today will honor you and will draw us closer to you and to one another through the grace of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
If you are looking for an opportunity to serve, we have a couple of specific things that you can do. Uh, you'll see in the bulletin uh, that uh, there are a couple of sign-up sheets in the back. Uh, one of them is related to a college missions project. It's going to be uh, working at the Wellspring Ministry in Angelica over the uh, college break. And uh, you see information there about that. We'd love to have college students involved, obviously, but also uh, folks who are here year-round to be a, a part of this as well. And you can sign up in the back and talk to Pastor Kevin about more details with, related to that. But it's a great opportunity to interact not only with uh, people here, but also with uh, people at Wellspring. And so we would encourage you, if you can, to be a part of that, uh, that mission experience. Also, during those break weekends, we have a need of some people to help with Children's Church. And you see some information in there about that on the 2nd and the 9th of March. And it's an opportunity to interact with our little ones and to serve them through, in the name of Christ. Again, you can sign up in the back for that. And we'd love to have you use your gifts and your love as you share with them on one of those Sundays or both, if you can. So please take note of those opportunities. Uh, you'll also notice that there are a number of things in the bulletin related to needs and concerns in our body and around the world. Uh, we do want to uh, continue to pray for those who are grieving. And uh, also want to mention that Ruth Hutton uh, died on Friday morning uh, and uh, her service is next is coming weekend. Uh, the visitation will be Friday from 5 to 8 at the Copeland Williams Funeral Home in Fillmore. And the service will be at 2 o'clock here at the church on Saturday with a visitation an hour before that. Be in prayer for uh, Ruth's family. Uh, they are you know, celebrating that she's not suffering, that uh, she is with Christ, but also grieving her loss as well. And uh, we, we grieve her, uh, her death also as a congregation. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings as we express our gratitude to God through our gifts. Still my 
heart. Hold me close, let me hear a still small voice. Let it grow, let it rise into a shout, into a cry. Still my heart holds me close, let me hear a still small voice. If you'd like to use the altar as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today in need of you and giving thanks to you for your love, your mercy, your goodness. As your children, you call us to come and to lay before you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts, even as we worship you as the Almighty God. So in a spirit of thanksgiving for calling us and for hearing us, we pour out to you all that is weighing upon us this morning. We pray for those who are grieving today. We think especially of Brian and his family and of Ruth's family. We pray that your mercy would be so evident to them. And that they would be surrounded by your goodness and by our love. Comfort them in in their grief. And assure them of your spirit. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with illness, with pain, with disease and the struggles that come to us. In this fallen, broken world. We pray, Father, today for Donna and Bill and for John. And for Bev and Edna and Linda and Micah. We pray for Bonnie. And for Crystal. And Bill and Emily. And for others who are on our hearts today. We ask for your healing grace in each of them. We pray that you will pour out your spirit in their bodies, their minds, their hearts, their souls. 
We pray for your presence with them. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We ask, Father, that you will continue to help your church to be your presence in a world of great need. Help us to be light in darkness. Help us to be hope in despair. Peace in the midst of war and chaos. Father, may we be the presence of joy when all that seems to be felt is hopelessness. We pray, Father, that you will help us today to be people who trust you more and more. Help us to see you at work in us, in our individual lives, in this church, in this town, in the surrounding towns, wherever we live, wherever we go, where we work, where we interact. We pray that you will help us to be a presence for you that will draw more and more people to you. Father, we pray that you will help us to live in the spirit of Christ. Fill us with the joy and the hope of Christ. We offer this prayer and all of our prayers in the name of Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our returning King, And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture is Nehemiah 13. 15 through 22. It's page 486 in your pew Bible. Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22. In those days I saw men in Judea treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judea. I rebuked the nobles of Judea and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same thing so that our God brought them out of this calamity upon us and upon the city? Now you are setting up more wrath against God by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Children ages 2 through 4 can be dismissed for Children's Church and Kindergarten through 3rd for Junior Church. Please stand and join us as we sing. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation. 
a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness, I'll look to Him who hears me. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, my God. Find rest, my soul, in God alone, amid the world's temptations. When evil seeks to take a hold, I'll cling to my salvation. Though riches come and riches go, don't set your heart upon them. The fields of hope in which I sow are harvested in heaven. day pour out my soul and he will prove his mercy though life is but a bleeding breath a sigh too deep to measure my king has crushed the curse of death and i am his Sabbath, what comes to your mind? Does that project good images, bad images, positive images, negative images? Not too long ago, someone said to me, I sort of have this love-hate relationship with the Sabbath. And if you grew up in the church, depending on what kind of church you grew up in, you might have that same kind of feeling. But I, and, and for some of you, you may be thinking, I have no feeling about Sabbath. I, it doesn't mean anything to me. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in a church where that was important. 
And you may be even thinking, well, you know, that's nice and, and maybe that's a, a little bit important. But instead of wasting our time on things like Sabbath, why don't we talk about important things? Let's, let's talk about things that mean something. Let's talk about things that, that have some bearing on what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let's not waste our time with stuff like Sabbath. And I think there's, a, there's something natural in our minds to want to say it's not all that significant until we read the scriptures. And when we read the scriptures, we find the Sabbath is extremely important. Out of all the things that God could say to Israel, he narrows the laws down to ten commandments, and Sabbath keeping is one of those ten. It's mentioned before murder, adultery. It's mentioned before how we treat our parents. It's important. When we come to the New Testament, of all the stories that the Gospels could tell us about Jesus, all the things that happened in Jesus' life, it is amazing how many times it talks about Sabbath. Jesus going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus doing things on the Sabbath and it creating conflict with people. How many times this idea of Sabbath is mentioned in the Gospels? And if our mindset is, well, you know, that's kind of an old thing. That's something we'll worry about anymore. We need to realize that the whole concept of Sabbath is significant to God, to the writers of Scripture, and therefore it ought to be to us. But we have all kinds of notions about what Sabbath means. One of the things that, so we, we come to this passage in Nehemiah, and, and uh, if, you, you know, if you know about Nehemiah, it's, it takes place uh, after the Israelites have been sent into exile for 70 years. And Nehemiah has this burden to come back and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the wall. And he does that. The city has been in shambles. The wall is broken down. And Nehemiah comes back and he, he leads the effort to rebuild the city and to rebuild the wall so that they have a place of protection. And all of that has taken place. And then once they are secure, they get out the book of the law, something that they, many of them have ignored for dozens of years. And, they, and they, they get out the law and they begin to read through the law and they worship God and they have this great time of worshiping God. And then they begin to realize that there are some things wrong. And, and Nehemiah says to the people, you know, there are some problems here we need to deal with. And one of those is Sabbath keeping. And he says, I realized, I was astounded. At once I, you know, he's got this immediate issue of, their security and rebuilding the wall, once that's taken care of, he looks around and says, wait a second, there's some things going on here that shouldn't be. People are buying and selling on the Sabbath and are treating this day just like any other day. And, and he speaks to it. Even to the point of threatening people who want to break it. It's that serious. He says to them, breaking the Sabbath is one of the reasons we went into exile as a people to begin with. Why are you back to this again? We're going to do something about it. It's that important. And one of the things that he does is he says, one of the ways to prevent them from breaking Sabbath is that he shuts the doors on the gates of the city. He shuts the doors so that there can't be trade and traffic going in and out. People can't come and do that. And he shuts the doors on it and prevents it from happening. And in the season of Epiphany, as we're thinking about, about these doors that we find in Scripture and how they reveal who God is and things about God's character and nature, Sabbath-keeping reveals something to us, not just about what it means to be a follower of God, but about who God is. Now, there are a lot of views that we can take about what it, what it means to observe the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath. For some people, the, there is the mindset that it doesn't matter anymore. 
Sabbath is a Jewish thing. That's an Old Testament idea. We're Christians. We don't, we don't get together. We don't worship on Saturday the Sabbath. We worship on Sunday the Lord's Day. The day where we celebrate the resurrection. And that is true. Christians, we worship on Sunday, not Saturday. And so people take that to mean we don't need to worry about Sabbath anymore. We disregard it. It doesn't mean anything. And there are places in Scripture, Colossians 2.16, where Paul says to, to the people, don't, don't worry about the festivals and the feasts. Don't let people judge you about whether you keep Sabbath or not. And people interpret that as it doesn't matter what we do. We're free from all of that. But that's not what Paul means. Paul means you don't have to, you don't have to observe all the Jewish rules in order to be Christian. He's writing to Gentiles, and, the, and some of the Jews are saying to them, before you can be a, a full Christian, you have to be Jew. You have to be a Jew. You have to take on yourself all the things of Judaism, and then you can step through the gate to be Christian. And Paul says that's not the way it works. So there is that mindset of we just ignore it, and yet when you read Scripture, that doesn't seem to be right. Another view is that we simply overlay all the Old Testament demands from Sabbath onto Sunday. So all the things that that we think about in terms of regulations about Sabbath, we just simply move them to regulations for Sunday. I suspect if you grew up in a conservative church, that's the mindset that you may have grown up with. I certainly did. Sunday was a day where you couldn't do things. It was all about rules and regulations and what you were not allowed to do. Maybe you grew up in that kind of environment. It was sort of the, what the Puritans did in saying, we're going to take this and we're going to make it about what is not allowed. And all of it was, was about negatives. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And Sunday becomes that kind of day. It becomes rules against. And that's one of the reasons why we have negative images in our mind about Sabbath. It creates that mindset of what we cannot do. But when we read the scriptures, we find that Sabbath is not about what we can't do. It's not about rules against. It's about, it's about freedom from. The Ten Commandments are presented to the Israelites in the context of them being freed from slavery in Egypt. The beginning of, of, of the Ten Commandments, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, here are these commandments. It's important for us to understand that the, that the Sabbath keeping is freedom for the Israelites, not bondage. They've been slaves for more than 400 years. For more than 400 years, they have been working seven days a week. Because that's what slaves do. Slaves don't get a break. Slaves don't get a day off. Slaves work continuously. Slaves work every day. Slaves are pushed and crushed under the load of work. That's sort of the definition of being a slave. And God calls them out of Egypt, these people who only know slavery, and he says, I'm going to free you from that. I'm going to give you a day, and we're going to set aside a day where you don't work. You're free from that. But because you've been a slave for all these years, it's hard to let go of that slave mindset. We keep hanging on to it. And so God has to command them. He has to demand of them, stop. And so what we tend to think of uh, as don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, God says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about now what you have a day to do things that you couldn't do because you're working all the time. And he completely turns it around. When we talk about Christian Sabbath, it really, what we're really trying to do is get back to the, the essential understanding of why God instituted the Sabbath in the first place. And it's about freedom. The problem is, it's been communicated to us as being about bondage. 
When in reality, it's exactly the opposite of bondage. And when it becomes freedom for us, then we begin to understand why in the world God would, would set, have a set aside this day in the first place. This is a day to, we have to, that we set aside because we are affirming that everything we accomplish in this world is because of God's provision, not because of our work. That's a hard one for us to grasp. Everything good that happens to us is because in one way or another, God has given it to us. God has provided it for us. And Sabbath is an opportunity for us to step back and to realize that, that what good we accomplish, yes, it's our effort, but it's only because God blesses our effort. And somewhere in the mix of Sabbath is this mindset that we believe we can accomplish more in six days obeying God than in seven days not obeying God. And we wrestle with that because that doesn't fit our cultural math. The kingdom math says six plus God is better than seven disobeying God. But everything in our culture says, no, 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 that's not true. That's not right. That's not how it works. If you want to get ahead, you got to work seven days. If you want to, if you want to be known, you got to, you got to work seven days. If you want to accomplish great things, you got to work seven days. Taking a day off, stepping back from your work, that's professional suicide. And quite frankly, many of us live under the weight of that burden of we have to keep accomplishing, we have to keep doing, we have to keep producing. And Sabbath says to us, God is the one who ultimately produces. God is the one who ultimately accomplishes. But here's the other part of that. Even if we don't accomplish more in six days than we would in seven, that's okay. I don't know that we can, we can say there's a direct formula. If we observe Sabbath and we only work six days, that we will always accomplish more than people who work seven. There's a good chance we won't. But that's okay. Because at some point we have to come to understand that our value and our worth as human beings and as children of God is not wrapped up in what we do, in what we accomplish, in our work. It's in God. And refusing to observe Sabbath is subtly implying that our value and our worth is in what we accomplish, in the work that we do, and not in God. Now, if we took a poll and I said, how many of you think your value and worth is in what you work rather than in what you do and what, rather than in God? I doubt if any of us would raise our hands. But in our spirits, we'd be raising our hands. And if we watch each other, by what we do, we're raising our hands. And I know we're saying, but you don't understand. The only way to get ahead is to work more. The only way to accomplish things is to work more. The only way to, to rise in the ranks is to work more. And that may well be true. But maybe we don't need to rise in the ranks. Maybe we don't need to, to, to keep working and working and working because maybe accomplishments aren't what ultimately should define us. God does. Years ago, I read about a minister who, who um, sort of took it as a, a badge of honor that he, he never took vacations and he never took days off. And his motto was, if Satan doesn't take any days off, then I'm not, I shouldn't take any days off. He said, and then one day he realized maybe Satan shouldn't be the model after whom he followed patterns his life. <laughs> It's not a coincidence that God rests 
in the seventh day of creation. Does God need to rest? Of course not. But he does it. Satan's the one who doesn't rest. And ultimately, we, we have to come to realize that, that our value and our worth is in God. Now, it doesn't demean the, the necessity of work and, and that work is a gift of God. And it is. Sometimes, you know, we think of work as a curse, but it's not. It's a gift of God. It's a part of what it means to be created in the image of God. God is a creator. God loves to create. He loves to make and do and accomplish. It is a part of who God is. And it's a part of who he has made us to be in his image. And and, and work is a gift of God. Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned, they still work. I used to think that that, that work was a part of the fall. And that before they sinned, they didn't have to work. But what kind of life would that be if we don't work, we don't do anything, we just sit around? Which is why I believe that when, God, when Christ brings in his kingdom and, and we come to the, the point where we live on a new heaven and new earth, we will work. We, we will do things. We will create. We will accomplish things. And the difference is we won't overwork. We won't be workaholics. We won't be crushed by work. But we will create and we will do because that's a part of the nature of God. It's a part of the way God created us as his children. And so this doesn't diminish the gift of work. And in fact, I think one of the reasons we wrestle with Sabbath is because we wrestle with what the ancients called the sin of slothfulness. That when we should be working, we're not working. And so we work hard and we give ourselves to our work and we do what we need to do. And then we step back and let it go. And we trust God for the results. Something, something in all of this is, is revealing how we feel about God. Do we believe that God can be trusted that God, is, that, that God will, will give us what we need despite the fact that we step back and, and we don't work for a day? Or do we feel like we're not quite sure God will, will do what we need him to do and so we better keep pushing forward because it's really in our hands? And as Christians... We wrestle with this because we look at the world around us and we see the great need. We see people who don't know Christ. We see people whose lives are in shambles. And we feel this great burden to, to reach them and to, and to care for them. And that is a gift of God. But at some point, we, so, we slip across the line and believe that we have to keep pushing, 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 pushing. We can never step back because otherwise people are not going to know Christ. It's all on us. And that's a lie. It's not all on us. It's on God. And yes, we care about the world and we do everything we can to help the world know Christ. But ultimately, only Christ can save people. Only Christ can change people's lives. We want to be channels. We want to be vessels for God to do that. But not resting, not stepping back, means that suddenly we believe God can't handle what's going on in the world. It's up to us. That's why Jesus says in Mark's gospel and Luke and Matthew that when he's challenged about what you can do on the Sabbath, he says, look, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a, play, is a time for doing good. The Sabbath is a time for pulling back so that we have the opportunity to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. It's not about rules. It's about doing good. It's about what, I mean, John Oswald says that, that the Sabbath is, is, instead of thinking of it as a time when we can't play, it ought to be thought of as a time when we have the opportunity to play. 
The opportunity to do things that we can't do the rest of the time. Because we believe this is who God is. That God wants to restore us. And we need this day physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to step back and let God do that. One of the things that we do on Sabbath is we come together on Sundays and we worship together. We encourage each other and we're reminded of things that we need to be reminded of. And we sing praises together and we learn together and we interact with each other. It's important. But we also need this day to step back. It's a good day to spend time with our families and our friends. It's a good day to to do things, to to play games and, and to be together and to enjoy the day that God has blessed us with. And we were able to do things on on this time of Sabbath rest that we can't do when we're immersed in work the other days of the week. It is time for us to think and to reflect about where our lives are going, about what God might be saying to us, about who God is, how God feels about us. I think one of the reasons that we may neglect Sabbath is because, quite frankly, we really don't want to think about where our lives are going. We don't want to step back and give God a chance to say, here are some things that you and I need to talk about. But God only does that because it's in our best interest. Because those things are causing us to be stuck in places that are harmful for us. And he wants us to move past those things. And often our busyness is our unwillingness to let God speak into our lives. Nehemiah closes the door to the city so that the people can can observe Sabbath, so that they can worship together, so that they can rest, so that they can enjoy each other, so that they can listen to God. And you and I need those moments to close the door on all of the demands of our lives so that we can do those things too. And too often we are so wrapped up in, 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 what, in the value that we feel from what we do that we don't want to close the door. We're afraid of what God may say to us and so we don't want to close the door. And we keep it open because we like the activity and the activity prevents us from really thinking about our lives, thinking about God, thinking about what God wants to do in us. But the problem with that is that we miss out on so much of what God wants to do in us, to bring joy and grace and mercy to us and to make us the people he created us to be. So we think about Sabbath. What do we need to do? Well, there is the one day a week. And for some of us, maybe Sunday is not the day that we step back and rest. For some of us, there is nothing we can do. We work on the Sabbath. We work on Sunday. And so we need to find another day. Another time to step back and to close the door so that we have that opportunity to to rest. But it's not just the one day, a day for resting and playing and, and, and doing things that we wouldn't otherwise do. There is also the sense of a mini Sabbath every day. Craig Barnes talks about how most of us, we we may get up in the morning, we jump out of bed, we get in the shower, we eat some quick breakfast, we get the kids ready for school if we do that. We grab our stuff, we grab a cup of coffee, and we head off to work. And and more than likely, the whole day is wrapped up in that kind of of busyness and and pressure and, and speed. 
I wonder how that would change if we, we made it possible, got up, got up a little bit early, changed our routine a little bit, where we had some time in the morning to just stop, to read the scripture, to meditate on God, to take some deep breaths, and to just let God flood our hearts with who he is and, and his love for us and his grace to us. And I don't know if it will change how we work and what we accomplish through the rest of the day, but that's not really the point. I guarantee you that if we do that, it will change how we view other people during the day. And after a while of hearing those messages from God over and over and over again, it will change how we think about ourselves and about him and about other people. And I think it will change how we think about our work. Whatever that may be. And I would suggest that during every day, that we set aside five minutes, ten minutes, whatever time we can, to close the door. Maybe it's literally closing a door. But something we do to step back from the day, to take a deep breath, to say a prayer, To think about God. To think about other people. And to take just those few moments of Sabbath. That allows God to to infuse us again with his spirit. And to open our eyes to people and the circumstances and our work even. And to see all of it through his eyes. Nehemiah is able to, because of the circumstances, he's able to basically demand that the people of Israel take a Sabbath. We can't do that. We have to make those choices ourselves. But for every one of us, the question that we have to keep asking ourselves about the week, about the day, about the moments of the day, is there any time when we're closing the door and stepping back? And keeping Sabbath. It is a gift of God. For us individually, for us as a church, and for all the people we encounter throughout our day. Father, we want to thank you for this gift of Sabbath rest. hard for us. But we pray that you would help us to sense you drawing us to you and to see it truly as a gift. Help us to think of ways that will enable us to observe this gift. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage you to to think of one thing you can do different about how you observe Sabbath. Maybe you're really good about one day a week, but... Maybe there's that, that early morning time or maybe there's that time in the evening or maybe there's time during your day or maybe it's the one day a week. But something you can do and you think about it right now and you go out from this place to, to do it about observing the gift of Sabbath.
a little bit more in each of our lives. Please stand and sing with us. Stir our affections to know you more. Turn our attentions from this empty world. Help us count all things for your name loves. That we may know you more and the glory of the cross come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. Come, come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. May we believe you the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.